Sleep is a big deal. Sleep quality or lack of it can affect how we feel, how we act, our performance at work, our relationships. The effects are wide-reaching. Personally and as a society, the public health consequences of sleep disorders are huge. The American Sleep Association has found that more than 37% of Americans reported unintentionally falling asleep during the day at least once in the preceding month. That's a lot of tired people. So let's talk about sleep. I'm not going to take this one on myself, though. Our guest today is Deirdre Conroy. Dr. Conroy is a clinical psychologist specializing in sleep medicine. She's also the clinical director of the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Clinic at University of Michigan Health. If you don't have questions about your own sleep, chances are there is someone in your life who does. So no sleeping through this one. I'm Dr. Preeti Malani, and thanks for joining us on the Michigan Answers Podcast. Hi, Dr. Conroy. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So our team has scoured the internet and pulled together a list of the most searched questions about sleep. I'm going to walk you through a handful of the most common ones, and, well, we hope you're going to have all the answers. Let's get started. What are the most common types of sleep disorders? So the most common sleep disorders will probably be insomnia. There's also obstructive sleep apnea or the other types of sleep apnea that usually are the most commonly uh, diagnosed, commonly reported uh, disorders in people struggling with sleep. What about restless leg syndrome? We hear a lot about that. Yeah, restless leg syndrome is also um, common. It is characterized by an urge to move the legs that typically occurs only in the evening. And And it's actually considered a sleep disorder because it can impact one's ability to fall asleep. Let's talk more about insomnia. How can you manage insomnia and is it curable? So insomnia, first I'll define uh, how we diagnose insomnia. So it is a complaint of difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up too early, and that has some kind of implication on your functioning the next day. So whether it contributes to daytime tiredness, difficulty concentrating, mood problems, and so on. And typically this disturbance happens at least three nights a week for a period of three months to be considered chronic insomnia. Is it curable? So curable is a big word, of course, in the medical field. Um, But there are certainly interventions and um, changes in your habit that can really improve sleep. So I think about this in two ways. Uh, Assisting with the difficulty sleeping every once in a while can be helped with a term called sleep hygiene. So things like avoiding caffeine right before bed and alcohol and other habits that I can talk more about later. But in terms of curative, really kind of interventions like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, a a multi-session ongoing approach to restructuring one's thoughts and habits around sleep has the most evidence to support a reduction in insomnia over time. And in fact, a recent research study found that even after 10 years, people were sleeping better after undergoing this particular type of intervention. Are there some medical conditions that have a link to sleep, like heart disease, for example? Well, any kind of sleep apnea, so for example, obstructive sleep apnea, which is a sleep disorder characterized by difficulty breathing in sleep. We can pause our breathing Sometimes this is characterized by snoring, loud snoring. Uh, Bed partners can observe either gasping or choking or pauses in breathing. And that can wake us up several times a night. 
affect our oxygen saturation through the night and contribute to next day functioning difficulties. And obstructive sleep apnea that goes untreated has found to be linked to uh, cardiovascular and cerebrovascular uh, complications. What effect can sleep have on your mental health? So this is a huge question uh, that lots of people are interested in, uh, both clinically and in the research realm. And I like to think about this as as a bi-directional relationship. Uh, Certainly, we've all experienced, or most of us, the difficulty sleeping one night and having it affect our mood the next day. So often irritable or depressed or just feeling more anxious than usual. But there have been studies that also show that uh, having insomnia can lead to difficulties with mood, and mood difficulties can contribute to insomnia. And sometimes we don't know which one is starting first. And in some cases, um, the difficulty sleeping early in life can contribute uh, both longitudinally and, of course, next day functioning difficulties as well. When does having trouble sleeping at night turn into something that someone should talk to a health professional about? There, there is a degree of, you know, having a bad night every once in a while is, is completely normal. We've all experienced when we have something to do the next day or a flight to catch. But if this becomes more frequent and particularly interfering with your functioning during the day, this is a, a sign that you would, should probably speak to your doctor about it. Um, so, for example, if you're falling asleep during the day and you don't mean to or you're feeling more fatigued or tired than, than usual, you may want further testing from uh, a sleep specialist. What are your tips for the average adult who maybe doesn't have a diagnosed sleep disorder but still has trouble sleeping from time to time? My tips would really relate to what are your habits? What are your habits that you keep most of the time? So in order to decrease the likelihood of having a poor night's sleep, it's usually the routine that has a lot to do with sleep. So what I mean by routine is when do you, go, when do you get up every day? Is it different on the weekends? Um, sometimes people will sleep later on the weekends to kind of catch up for sleep loss. Um, so I might keep them on a regular sleep-wake schedule. Or just knowing how you respond to certain types of um, activation, like whether that's TV or movies or social media. So many uh, people have told me, especially in the last few years, how how uncomfortable and anxiety-provoking watching the news has been. And so learning more about how news, et cetera, might affect your thinking, um, you might want to avoid uh, watching the news or inter- engaging in social media before bed or during the night. Something that that I'm just reflecting on is that uh, we all have some difficulty sleeping from time to time. And there's this myth that maybe you just can hit the pillow and sleep beautifully uninterrupted for eight hours and wake up great. And that's not true for most of us. I would agree with that. And and so often in, in my clinic, so most of my patients struggle with insomnia. And they say to me, I would like eight hours of sleep every night, and I would like to not wake up, and I would like to feel amazing the next day and do jumping jacks. And while we all want to be very productive and we all want a solid uh, restful night's sleep, it is normal to wake up a couple times during the night. It's normal for it to take about a half hour to fall asleep. You might experience an awakening during the night during which you're awake for about a half hour. And if you feel okay the next day, that's just all part of the human 
functioning of, of sleeping. It actually shouldn't be an experience where your head hits the pillow and you're out immediately. Um, that, in fact, may indicate that you have been struggling with sleep, either with quality or quantity. And that on its own may reflect uh, more of a disorder than, than what's normal. You mentioned devices and, and sleep. How about phones? So many of my patients keep their phone next to them while they sleep. Uh, and if they wake up during the night, might turn to the phone to look at it to pass the time while awake. And this is problematic in a couple of ways. One, because there is light that is emitted from the phone, particularly blue light we know affects the, the body clock, the circadian pacemaker. So you might be affecting your melatonin uh, rhythm across the night, which can affect sleep. But also the engagement with such stimulating information that's available throughout the night is not conducive to falling back to sleep. So I usually like to talk to my patients about setting limits with the access to their phone during the night. Does your ability to sleep well change as you get older? Sleep definitely changes as we get older. If you look at the quantity and quality of sleep across the lifespan, of course, babies sleep, you know, 16 hours. Then when we become children, we're sleeping 8 to 12 hours. And then the number of hours tends to decrease across the lifespan. So it might be decreasing to, you know, six hours beyond age 60 or 70. The reasons for that are multifactorial. We also experience more medical issues as we get older. So that could perhaps influence disruption of sleep. So greater number of awakenings during the night or medications that affect sleep, nocturia, or having to use the restroom frequently during the night can all increase as we get older. In addition to the incidence of sleep apnea as we get older, can all interfere with the quality of sleep. So we do definitely find changes in sleep as we age. And this is also something I like to educate my patients about because so often I do speak with my older uh, patients about what should sleep look like for you at, at, at your age. And oftentimes the request or the goal really is, I'd like to sleep the same way that I did when I was 25. And unfortunately, that's very difficult to do because the brain does change as, as we age. Dr. Conroy, you focus a lot on adolescence and sleep. Uh, yeah, we, we certainly have d done some research on adolescence, uh, particularly in depression in adolescence and how what types of sleep interventions we can try out in, in adolescence. What about over-the-counter sleep aids? So over-the-counter sleep aids, a lot of times these days, many of us use melatonin um, or you may also hear NyQuil or ZQuil, uh, in general, over-the-counter sleep aids don't have a lot of efficacy over long term. They also tend to last in the body for a while, meaning the effects could still be present the next day when waking up. You might feel a little bit more groggy. And melatonin has also, melatonin is unlike those others I mentioned. It's a naturally occurring hormone, um, but can be purchased over-the-counter, so exogenous melatonin versus endogenous, meaning in our body. So melatonin in pill form is being used quite often, especially in the adolescent population. And the one distinction I like to make with melatonin is that it can actually be quite effective in very low doses for certain types of sleep disorders. So for example, if I am a night owl and it's taking me hours and hours to fall asleep and I, I sleep from say 3 a.m. to noon and I really don't, I can't uphold that, that schedule more. I, I might use a little bit of melatonin early in the evening to kind of shift 
the biological clock to an earlier time. So melatonin can be very helpful for body clock problems. But interestingly, the data to support melatonin as a hypnotic or as an, uh, a sleep aid to help us fall asleep is actually not as impressive given how many people are taking the medication. Um, but it certainly is helpful anecdotally. I have many patients that report taking melatonin at bedtime and finding it to be helpful. Uh, we usually don't recommend more than 10 milligrams at night. So really understanding how much your patient is taking uh, can be help helpful in your assessment and diagnosis. So occasional use is not unreasonable. Occasional use is not un unreasonable for something like that. What's an area of sleep disorder research that is most exciting to you right now? The area that's most exciting to me is, has been how uh, the use of cannabis or marijuana is affecting sleep and vice versa, how poor sleep can affect marijuana use. Um, this is a topic that's been evolving over the years. And unfortunately, the science is sort of slower than the availability of the products. Um, and so I think more research on types of marijuana or how does sleep interact with um, the use of marijuana is going to be interesting. So for example, one of the projects that we're working on in the Department of Psychiatry is whether sleep intervention with cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia changes the use of, of cannabis. So we have participants who, who are recreationally using uh, cannabis. And just to see, it's not an intervention to reduce the, the marijuana per se, but can better sleep lead to less use of marijuana? Dr. Deirdre Conroy, thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this week's episode of Michigan Answers. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are unpacking some of the most searched for health topics on the internet. And if you're interested in learning more about how Michigan medicine is improving lives and advancing health, you can visit michigananswers.com. See you next week.